Hi, this is Doug Bradley, Pinhead from the Hellraiser movies, and you're listening to the Midwest Monsters Podcast. And you'd better keep listening, or I will tear your souls apart. I'm excited. I'm sorry. I picked this topic. I love this movie. That's a scary movie. It's a scary movie, and it still affects me just the same. I cannot put that on. I gotta tell you, something about this movie worked for me. I was oh, like, it rocked. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's debatable, but I mean, it's a great movie. That, you know, I, it's my right as a viewer, as somebody who spends my money and time to go watch these films, to have my opinions and be disappointed. But that's what I love about about this group doing this podcast right now, is that on so many pages, <laughs> we're like right there with each other. But then, I mean, it, it's it's almost inevitable that, uh, you know, half the time we're going to go, you're out of your mind. You are out of your mind. I'm sorry, but that's... Welcome to the Midwest Monster Podcast. And now, here are your hosts... Welcome back to another episode of the Midwest Monsters. I am your host, Professor Wagstaff, joined by... Matt Chan! Hot Toddy! And Rybones. And tonight we have taken on the task, or the the treat, as you may say, maybe your pleasure... Or your pain... (laughs) um, ...of a a rather large uh, franchise uh, in the Hellraiser series... Uh, We'll be taking a look at all of the films and the future of it this evening. Uh, To get things started off, uh, what's everyone's uh, past with this? Have we seen a lot of these films? Uh, What did we think of it prior to watching them for the podcast or re-watching them? Um, I had seen the first three only, and uh, Revelations, or yeah, when it came out, I watched that one with Hot Toddy when it it was fresh, but other than that, I'd only seen the first three, so this gave me a chance to go in and explore the sequels. Um, I'd seen Hellraiser... Sometime in the 90s, I don't really know when. It wasn't a standout like Freddy or Jason, because those are kind of more of my favorites. But yeah, man, this one definitely squeaked up there, and I have a significant other who loves this franchise and the Pinhead character, so this has always okay. kind of been close to me. Gotcha. Oh, uh, I know I had seen the first three uh, prior prior to this. I don't believe I had watched a whole lot of the latter ones. So um, my experience was mainly just the first three films. But, you know, before this, so it was kind of cool getting to watch them all, you know, in one sitting and be like, "That's, that's a lot of movies to take in." It's like yeah. nine films, so it's like, "Whoa!" But uh, uh, overall, though, is that right, Bones or Beetlejuice? Was, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! Hey, shop at the same store, right? <laughs> Hot toddy. Um, I don't think I ever realized until I sat down to watch all movies that I realized Hellraiser was my gateway to horror. Okay. Um, Elaborate. I. I from an early age, my dad, I think that's where I got my love of horror. My dad loved horror. So he would take me to see Return of the Living Dead and Freddy. And so It wasn't the first horror movie by any means that I saw, but this is the point where I started kind of going into uh, to my own likes, I guess. So um, I've never heard of Hellraiser ever. And I was in third grade, best friend. Um, we would walk down to the sidewalk cinema a few blocks from her house. And he's telling me about a movie called Hellraiser. So, um, I, I'd never seen a poster, commercial, nothing. My, my first impression is seeing the poster outside the theater with this 
weird ass thing holding a box. For part one? For part one. Part one. It says angels to some, demons to others, and yeah. I'm like, who the who is this guy an angel to? <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. And, uh, <laughs> so so me and him we go see this movie. It, I don't think I've ever remember seeing anything like it to be honest. And then uh, I was digging through some stuff, and again I realized because this is the first issue of Fingo that I ever bought. Nice. But I realized oh, very cool. Pinhead was my end of horror because I liked I liked horror movies, but after watching Hellraiser. I was into like how do they make the movie and who was this and and so it, it kind of dug uh, a little bit deeper there and he was your gateway so guy. yeah I think Hellraiser <laughs> was my my roots into into really getting into horror for myself okay very good uh, I thought that I had watched more of these than I had upon coming on to uh, we got the chatter sent by here at the table uh, I thought I'd watched more of these prior to preparing for this podcast, right. and I will not fib on it. I'd watched one and two, and that's it. I thought I'd seen more. I thought I'd caught one or two more of the sequels. I had not. Uh, I was very <laughs> unfamiliar with the rest of them. Uh, once I got into part three, I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen this one. And then it started, I was like, no, I haven't. I haven't seen any of this. This is all, <laughs> right so it's all new. So uh, much of this uh, franchise was a first viewing for me. Right. Um, to be perfectly honest, I loved the first two prior to preparation for this. I really, really enjoyed both of them. Uh, and looked at this as rather daunting. Uh, and I would be lying if I said otherwise. There is a lot of movies, and uh, they were, you know, basically straight to video, and they looked horrible to me. I was wrong. Uh, I enjoyed a lot <laughs> of these sequels, and I look forward to yeah. going through them. Uh, but that's just a disclaimer. So if you're a listener uh, who... I know plenty of people feel that way. Hellraiser's not for everybody. It's no. it's a niche franchise. Um, maybe this will encourage you to want to check out some of those films. I hope so. So, to get us started here, first thing, one thing I, I think is important to point out is the difference in franchises from this to all the other ones that we know and love, if nothing else, financially. I looked up the mm -hmm. money that was earned on them and was shocked. Uh, that's not a knock against this, but it's just... Uh, I think that this kind of puts it in perspective how this truly is a niche franchise that the films continue to be made not because they were making boatloads of money but because people loved it the people making it loved it it wasn't always just a cash grab which I think translates onto the screen now the top franchise um, is Friday the 13th 614 million uh, middle of the ways down uh, Halloween 517 and Hellraiser 84 Okay, so wow. just to put it in perspective, that's not a knock. That's still right, right, a right. lot of money, you know, to make. But I think that puts it into perspective that what we're dealing with here, I think, is frequently thought of and lumped in with these characters as the same level, and it's yeah. really not. It's not that it's inferior. But you think I, of them as the same peer group, and then you're like, right. you look at bank accounts, and you're like, meh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that only the four movies? Like they go to that school. That's all. That's all franchise. <laughs> but does that is that just theatrical? It, it's the total earnings for the okay, franchise. Okay, so, so even the straight-to-video. Yeah. Okay. So, but I'm not saying that to knock it, but yeah. this perfectly illustrates my history with it. Right, right, I thought, right. I, I thought I'd watched more. I'd seen two. Right. So I thought that was really interesting. And I mean, that's still a nice chunk of change, and it's yielded us more money than most of these franchises. Right. Or more movies, sorry. So it's got a very interesting past in terms of uh, financial performance versus quality output because I was shocked and we'll go into this one by one at the quality of some of these films in a good way. Yeah. So with that said, yeah, let's with get the money they had, yeah. 
the first one, Hellraiser Mad Chan. Can you give us some information on that? Hellraiser, 1987, written and directed by Clive Barker based on his novel The Hellbound Heart. Starring Andrew Robinson, Claire Higgins, Sean Chapman, um, and then introducing Ashley Lawrence. Uh, I want to point out that our Cenobites are played by Grace Kirby, Simon Bamford, Nicholas Vince, and Doug Bradley. And Doug Bradley would go on to be in a lot of these movies. Um, initial thoughts on the first Hellraiser, watching it again, Rye Bones. Um, Hellraiser's, uh, the, the first one's weird for me, because I think the first time I watched it, I didn't realize how little he's involved in it, you know, especially the, Who's you he? know, uh, being Pinhead, you know, okay. or Priest, or however you want to refer to him, yeah. but, um, <clears throat> you know, I remember watching it way, way early on, and, you know, I grew up in the same, you know, thing as you guys you know like the jasons the freddies stuff and he's not in it a whole lot so you have to kind of watch it and go oh i get it like you're kind of expecting him all the time Mm -hmm. but he's not really there so there's a lot of story and he pops out to kind of you know put the exclamation point on certain spots so once i kind of realized that's how it was and i'm like okay got it i thought it was cool the premise is awesome the premise is like really really wild i don't know if i buy the you know um is it julia Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't know if I buy that she's like, yeah, I'm just gonna hack dudes up because this guy was a good lay once. But you know, <laughs> you know like, I, I think they had more of a romance than yeah, yeah. one time. But you know what I'm saying, like it. Uh, yeah. But you're like, okay, I'll live with that. But it's it's such a cool story though. Yeah, I, I kind of dig that part of it. You know, she's like, okay, well, she's willing to do it. So uh, I kind of like that she has to sacrifice to bring him back. You know, dope. Uh, my initial thoughts on the first one, uh, underrated in a way, in mm-hmm. terms of uh, in the pantheon of classic horror films. I think that uh, it, it, the idea of this franchise having, uh, you know, X number of films in it, in this case nine, soon to be ten, uh, that you kind of have a tendency to dismiss something when in reality this is teetering into the style of art house at times. Right. This is a very well made film. And it's you have one of the greatest imaginations of a generation, not only writing that, but directing it and making sure his vision is stuck right on the screen for it. Um, I think that it is interesting with what uh, Rybones talked about, the perception of Pinhead and how basically fans elect what they, you know, want from a film. Right. And they, you know, catapulted him into a higher level when in reality he's, he's not the driving force of this film the humans no. are mm-hmm. and that's, and they're great the Cenobites are great but the reality is is this is uh, high drama and all kinds of other things going on it's not just your uh, you know prototypical monster or killer and so I think that this movie at times is very sexy and erotic I think it's very oh, definitely. chilling and scary and uh, you know explicitly gory uh, I think that only one guy could do that, Clyde Barker. And <laughs> right. I think that he did it very well in this, for my initial thoughts on that. Rewatching this movie again, um, I didn't realize how much of it didn't stick with me. Because I, when I think of Hellraiser, I think of Pinhead. And I hate to keep calling him that, because that wasn't his initial name. But I mean, that's what I think of, and I do. And that's what, like you said, the poster art, and every time you see it, that's what it is. And every time you see a, a, a box... Yeah, a puzzle it's quoted, box. It's it's, he's quotes. holding it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's him. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> angels to some, demons to others. I mean, it's always his quotes. So going back through, you're right. The story in this, it's well crafted, 
and it's a Clive Barker story, and you, of course it's well crafted. But I mean, the way that it's brought to screen, you know, with the the flesh, you know, it's like he needs souls. He needs her to bring him people so he can take their flesh and he can he can take their life force from them and develop like. That's a story, and it's a rich story yeah, under that because cool. you have a man who's oblivious to everything that's going on. His dead brother's in the attic. His <laughs> wife is... No, seriously, his yeah, wife yeah, has totally. been screwing around on him, which he has no clue about. His daughter, you know, like he has an estranged... I don't want to call it estranged, but you could tell that she's kind of there. Kinda, yeah, they're kind of distant, but she's still there. It's still daddy, you know? And uh, so, I mean, it's a well-crafted story, and I didn't remember... That about it, and mm-hmm. I felt sad when I rewatched these that that's not what I remember. But that's what I'm gonna take forward with me. Yeah, but that's not what I had. Uh, I think it's hard to talk about initial because I was I was young, but like the things that stuck with me. I mean, there's things I didn't catch on, kind of like Nightmare Two. Like I didn't I didn't get all the homoerotic and S and M, and that wasn't there. But uh, oh, yeah. to me, I mean, again, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little gay kid watching this. The it's it was different because you know. The the sexy character is not a woman; it's a man, and I I didn't quite get why uh, why he found all this stuff pleasurable till I was an adult. So that's something that came later. Yeah. Um, I think what stuck with me the most: the monsters aren't the bad guys. Yeah. Um, the monster is this woman that is so in love with her husband's brother that she would do anything for him, and uh, and then there's kind of a, a betrayal with this as well because. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Like, um, I think Frank would have done anything for pleasure. So there's there's not any love for her on on his end. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I don't. I don't think it's ever mentioned even in the book. But I took it that he is. He's probably slept with men and maybe animals, and he's done everything. That's why right. he went to yeah, the box. He's taking everything to the limit. Um, because right. he he wants. Uh, I, I think the way that <laughs> Clive uh, auditioned. Um, God, I just want to blank on her name, Ashley Lawrence. Right, um, what was yeah when when she auditioned for Kirsty his his motivation was your uncle wants to kill you and then fuck you in that order, and I think that definitely comes across <laughs> in the movie and right. it really wasn't like I mean I've I've seen a bunch of horror movies and again like this is my one of my first experiences I remember where there's no adults it's just me and my friend from third grade <laughs> a little different time of the eighties. But uh, we're in the theater watching this with adults, and it just—it was a heavy movie, and I think I was even more scared because, uh, you know, Freddy and stuff could have been scary, but but again, it's the people that's scary. And as a kid watching this, I, I don't think you thought too much about normal people being being the the bad guy in, in a horror film. So that that was my initial thoughts. Right on. Uh, I mean, this movie, and, and I mean, I th- I think we would all agree that we t- you said something about that. It's more drama. Like, this whole series. Like, it's a horror franchise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the drama. The, like, the hardcore... It's, it's a family drama. That's what... Mm-hmm. I mean, everything it is. in this. Like, it's it from be the people who, it from the be people who made the play. puzzle box. Right. Everything about this. Like, we've got horror elements, but the drama is, Ryan? is big. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it, it is... Uh, just a fact that Clive Barker translations to the screen are are much more enjoyed as an adult than as a child. A uh, perfect example would even be Candyman. Uh, when we went back revisited this for the show, uh, the Grizz, uh, who once did not like that movie, instantly, you know, changed his mind on that and enjoyed it from a dif- different aspect. And I think when you get into uh, you know the these deep themes of love and betrayal and sadomasochism and all this stuff going on in this, 
uh, a kid is watching this for another Chucky or Michael Myers, whereas an adult you watch this and your jaw is hanging down going, holy cow. It's deeper than that. Yeah, and and the the initial, uh, I think the title originally was going to be Hellbound Heart, but the studio didn't, because it really is like a weird romance. Yeah, and the studio was like, we don't want people to to feel like this is a romantic movie. Yeah, but I I kind of uh, I kind of feel Pinhead's almost like like Dracula in a sense where he's uh he's not screaming. He he's he comes in and he says these really intelligent, sensible things. He's not really being funny. Right, and uh. It's almost like you could reason with Pinhead, kind of, well, and I think you can, but there's no strict guidelines. Well, Pinhead speaks very poetically, like yeah. all throughout the series, and I mean we're gonna get it, but th- I see what you're saying. Like he comes in and he says what needs to be said. He's like, yeah. "You summoned us here. Yeah. Like you're not gonna bargain with me." Like he flat out, he comes in, he says what needs to be said, but he's not just like, "Nah, nah, nah. We'll take care of this later." He's Legitimately, so he, he, was, he was a medium for the time because either you had a slasher who didn't speak like Michael Myers or Jason yeah. Voorhees, or you had a wisecracker like Freddy, and, yeah. and Pinhead was neither. Right. But how many times did you, did, through, through watching the series, this is a general question, did people like, you know, open the box, he comes and he's like, you summoned us, and, the, and everybody's like, no, I didn't. You gotta wonder if he's like, for fuck's sake, <laughs> read the directions. He's like, that's it, we need to start packaging this thing better. Yeah, yeah he's, he's like never like... back to the house band, Eddie, again, attorney, am I right or am I right? Yeah, no, I think that he is always controlled in that sense, though, yeah. because he has been summoned, and he knows at that point, your shit out of luck. I am in control... This yeah. is, and so there's no, there's no need for, you know, accelerated, you know, behavior from him because he's there and you are in trouble. Yeah. And he and I think that he is disciplined in terms of what's right and wrong, uh, which I find fascinating, which there's a specific scene in the second film, yeah. which we'll touch on when we get there. Um, now, do we want to run through a basic synopsis of, of the first film since it's such a big, important one? Uh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. OK, so we open with Frank Cotton. Yeah. Making a purchase in, uh, I think it was Africa, the puzzle yeah, box, right. yeah. the lament configuration, the lament as we will come to know very well throughout the film. Wait, was it Africa or like Vietnam or something? I don't, I don't think they ever specified it. I think the whole point is it was exotic. Yeah, it's it's an yeah, exotic yeah. country for uh, and, and and the box itself. I mean, it's got it got it has things from different cultures. So yeah, so listeners, yeah, look it up if I'm right. Uh, praise me on social media. You my song. <laughs> Pull me apart. Right. Uh, So he brings this back to England. He solves it. Uh oh. (laughs) Yeah, we summon our Cenobites. He is looking for the ultimate pleasure. I haven't read the entire book. I tried to get that in uh, before the recording. Just ran out of time. Adulthood. Right. Right. Uh, But I will say at the beginning, I did read that part. Whoa. Very, very uh, more explicit and sexual uh, than we cover in the movie, but. Frank, as uh, we described earlier, he is looking to party with, I think, anything with a pulse. Uh, and he's chasing the ultimate pleasure. He summons... Uh, that should have been the tagline on the poster. Yeah, he summons our... Uh, yeah, that was the original working title of the film was anything Frank's with a pulse. Frank's looking to party. Uh, Frank's party. Uh, so he is torn apart. He is put basically down under the floorboards of his house there in England. Uh, then we queue up uh, Brother... Coming in with his wife. Larry. Yep. Larry and Julia. Uh, brother and Frank has been missing for, is it three months? 
at this point. Right. And they, yeah. they reference that. They're moving into the house. Don't know what the hell that's all about. Hey, we can't find my brother. Yeah, we better move into his house. Well, there was a line. <laughs> no, it was mom's house. They, they, he, he wanted to, he's like, I wanted to sell it when the old lady died. Okay. But he wouldn't let me. And since and he's he been moved missing. In instead. And since he's been but missing, still, we're moving That in is here. an odd motivation. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, uh, so we are back in there. Um, and basically, I'm not going to go through every single step yeah, of the yeah, film, yeah. we got a lot to cover. But basically, Ju- we learn as we go that uh, Julia's had a history with Frank, uh, one that she is still clinging to. Uh, we are looking at uh, some provocative pictures. We're thinking of some past memories. Right. Uh, and we, I'm trying to remember the specific, I, with my notes here, how we discover that he is under the floor. The blood. Oh, he's moving the thing and cuts his hand. Yeah. So Larry cuts his hand while moving stuff in, which drops the blood right. onto the floor. Now, I, don't, I, don't, the, I don't think he was under the floor. He was in hell, but that he found a way out through his brother's blood. There's something in the floorboards that Maybe a starts pulsing or something. like his heart. Yeah. Well, they, well he's, that's he, where he he's, re, he's reborn in yeah. the, through the floor. Right. Yeah, this is the room where he did it. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. Anyways, that starts to bring him back. Uh, Julia, through a series of, I guess, being sold on it, finally believes that that is, <laughs> that that is actually is him. Uh, and he needs blood to regain his form. Uh, and she begins luring men back like a serial killer. Uh, and killing them basically for him to feast on yep. and, and fueling that till he brings them back. Um, it is dark. It's real dark. Uh, one thing that I do love about the storytelling throughout is that it feels so big, yet it is very stage-like. Yeah. We don't have a lot of locations. We don't spend right. a lot of time other places. Um, yeah, the, the daughter, Christy, we haven't covered her yet. Uh, she discovers this process, comes in on it, um, and flees with the, the puzzle box, I think. Curse, yeah. And uh, Sorry, there's a lot to cover here. No, you're good. Um, and she inadvertently solves it in the hospital. Help me out here, guys. There is a lot I'm trying she, to she, she sort wakes out up from, from these different films. From feigning, and she is confused what's happening. She opens the box. Um, which opens a portal. I, I think she is introduced to the engineer at this point, mm. uh, which is the weird. I don't. I don't even know how to explain that thing. Uh, the Cenobites show up, ready to take her, and then she realizes that you know. Uh, I think she asks them. I believe the question. You know, no one's ever escaped you. Yeah. And and then she she's like, I know someone that has. So she's trying to bargain bargain with them. Starts tattling. Yeah. So yeah, she she tells them, and then um, Pinhead's line is that he wants to hear it from from Frank's mouth that he is actually who he is and he's escaped him. Yeah, because he said nobody ever escapes us. So he's like, I got to hear it from his mouth. And when they find out Frank did escape, shit. <laughs> He gets pissy. Right. And she um, offers him up. Yeah, and in, in the meantime, this is when uh, they they know that that Kirsty knows, and so um, he needs skin, and that's when he takes his brother's skin. Oh, so crazy! As you do, <laughs> man. Uh, there's just a there's a lot that goes on in this movie. Uh, there's a puzzle box. We get to see the big demon at the end. Uh, I thought that was kind of that was kind of funny. But basically, I mean, Hellraiser is definitely a watch. I'd, I'd, I'd recommend Hellraiser 1 to anybody who's never seen it. And if you have seen it, go out and watch it again. Like, we're not doing the story any kind of justice at all. There's yeah. definitely a different perspective when you're older versus when you're younger and you watch this film. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you, you don't watch it just for the pinhead thing. You watch it more for, like, 
oh, there's some crazy other stuff going on aside from him right. being in the film. But I got I had a couple notes I wanted to share with you guys though that I thought was really great. Um, Julia, having rewatched this film, I'm like she got bitchy resting face, <laughs> hardcore. But <laughs> I actually have a note. Um, I said she's attracting men to slaughter, looking like a girl from a Duran Duran video, the flock of seagulls hair, but bitchy. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like that's, that's all it takes in certain. So who's she picking up in a bar? Is it like the last call of the night? And they're like, she'll do. What, what, that, that's that's <laughs> another. Most of them up during the day. It's the day drinker. That's that's <laughs> that's an oddity too. Is is it's middle aged married men that are the they're basically yeah. the essential eighties chicks with their boobies hanging out it's middle-aged men yep. that she's taken back to seduce that's that's the victims right yeah. but definitely i mean my suggest last final thoughts on this one's watch hellraiser well and just to finish up to the quick summary to lead us into part two uh she offers up frank we go back frank as you said is wearing his brother's skin he's got like you can see around the eyes it's a nice effect where your imagination yeah. is forced to think about what you're looking at, where you don't have to do a lot with the makeup or special effects. Uh, very effective. Um, so in the process of returning, uh, Frank accidentally kills the old flame. Oh. Julia turns around, stabs her, then drains her, uh, feasting on that. Um, and the Cenobites do arrive, and it is time for the bill to be paid. Frank is chained up. Pulled apart with the very powerful words Pretty Jesus sweet. wept right Jesus before they pulled wept, wept dude. Oh my god. Um, Which that was from Andrew Robinson. So I, I think the line was fuck you. Right. And Andrew Robinson suggested because he didn't think it sold what was happening. And Andrew Robinson too I think was known mostly for uh, I knew for Clint Eastwood. Yeah, I was going to say I knew him from Dirty Harry. Yeah so this, this, was a, this was like a departure for him too. So like a weird... Yeah, it's a paycheck film. movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was a paycheck movie as much as uh, I think he got pigeonholed as like Clint Eastwood bad guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of like the erratic weirdo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, Frank is pulled apart. He's in pieces. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty sweet though. Christy reverses the solution on the box and sends them away. Despite her trying to destroy the box, it ends up back with the dealer and evidently the. Location of unknown origins, but same place they got the exotic the gizmo. Yes, back <laughs> right around at the beginning. Um, so, do we gonna want to go right into Hellraiser two? Do we have any more thoughts on this? We want. Um, I think something we left out was Oliver Smith played Frank without skin because he also returns for the second mm-hmm. movie for yeah. a couple characters, okay. um, which looks awesome, by the way. Yeah, I I think um, the coolest things is um, some of the a few things that I learned was this is like such a low budget movie. But uh, everybody, everybody involved believed in the movie mm-hmm. because uh, New World, uh, this is Clive's first movie, and, and the main reason he wanted to, to direct was if you've ever seen Rawhead Rex, yeah. and I think it's Underworld is his other movie. Yeah. I... Um, they, they turned him to like they, they were nothing like he intended. Right. So he wanted to direct, have have a little bit of control. They actually sent um, Tony Randall, uh, the studio did, and. You know, everybody involved is like it's just the entire making of the movie was rare because Tony Randall didn't want to interfere either. And and because Tony Randall was there, he kept getting more money from the studio. So the the birth scene, which I think kind of makes the movie for me a little bit, but where he's reborn through the floor, that was just going to be an afterthought because they didn't have the money. So a lot of the cool scenes that stand out, they actually got as an afterthought. That was a dope scene when he comes yeah. out of the floor. Cool. That and. And that, and um, I, I think another thing cool was, I mean, Pinhead was just lead Cenobite. Like, like the the villainess was, um, was the stepmom Julia. Mm-hmm. Julia, 
Um, she was Clyde Barker's intent to be the bad guy through one through three. So, but Joan Jett was the breakout star. Well, you know, not every, everybody's going to see the movie, and it's the guy with the pins in his head. Yeah. So, so they start using on the posters and everything, and yeah. And that's my afterthoughts. Very right. good, very good. Okay, moving into our next entry: Hellbound, Hellraiser Two, nineteen eighty-eight, directed by Tony Randall, written by remember this name, Peter Atkins, starring Doug Bradley. Ashley Lawrence, Claire Higgins, Kenneth Cranham, Imogen Borman, Sean Chapman, Barbie Wilde, Simon Bamford, and Nicholas Vince. There we go. And story by Clyde Barker. So, well, I mean, yeah. So, and 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 before we go, they they started making Hellraiser two. Why they were making Hellraiser? Because they're like, look, this movie's gonna have to have a sequel. So they had already started thinking of the script. Um, I think Pinhead st- started taking off too, because again, like that, that wasn't their intent at all. They're like, well, there's this Pinhead guy that we kind of need to. Yeah, the, I mean, the the early viewings of it, people were reacting strongly. To yeah, him. people wanted to see more on the background of why this guy looks so cool. Um, I think, uh, well, general thoughts on this one. Uh, solid. I, I think it's a solid sequel uh, to the first. It it does one of my favorite things in a in a film. Where if you're going to do a sequel, it literally takes off right where the first one mm-hmm. is. I think that's fun. Cause, you get the Karate Kid opening? Yeah, cause, well, because it's, it's like, you know, if, especially, you know, back then it was years between uh, movies sometimes. You know, a year or two or whatever. But when you when you go to watch it, you're like, man, you're right back to the where opening. you were. Right. So you're like, yeah. So I, I like that I like that part of it. And I think it's a really good sequel. It still follows the, uh, it kind of picks up with the Julia uh, character again. So it's... It's like a natural progression into the next film. I like that. Where? Uh, I, I think this is like one of the strongest sequels ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's because everybody is... Like, Clyde Barker had books to write at the time, but even he was still highly involved. And and everybody... Like, Tony Randall, he had complete faith could do this movie. And it wasn't just the studios turning out another film. Like, almost everybody involved with the first movie's back. And it's not a it's not a Home Alone sequel. It's it's they build on everything that the first one did, and then they did something completely different, which take you into hell. Um, I don't know. I, one and two. It's hard for me to pick a favorite because to me, one and two are just solid movies, and I love they them are. both. Yeah, they, they're the best of the series, really. And and um, I don't know, just. I don't know. I've, I've no, loved the movies since I've seen. I <laughs> I never tire of Hellraiser one and two ever. Very good, Matt Chan. Um, yeah, I thought it, I thought it was real strong coming out the gate, and I do like that. And we we speak we spoke on this plenty of times when everybody's back. Um, I like that our we get to further explore where the Cenobites come from and what they are and who they are, but we also get to see what the puzzle box is, and mm-hmm. we figure uh, this is where we get to see Leviathan, right? Very good, right? Yep. And uh, I think that's neat, and it's a, it's just a better progression. And we see that this puzzle box, this thing from the first movie that we were all kind of enamored, what's going on with this, yeah. we, we step into a much larger world in this movie. Like, there's tons of puzzle boxes. This guy's got three in his house. Like, there's this is a thing that's going on. We saw in the first movie a glimpse of a broader, a broader world that people live in. Very good. Yeah. Um, I think... Uh, 
it's a wonderful sequel. One of the certainly best offerings in terms of a sequel uh, for the decade and of all time in, in the horror genre. I think the, not quite as in depth with the beginnings like The Godfather 2, but also very reminiscent of that where we explore both sides of the story we just watched in part one. Right. So we go back a little bit and we learn about who Pinhead was. Yeah. Um, and we learn more about where Pinhead's coming from. And so that's what I think makes this so great. We and they never, they never try and get too wild with it. I mean, it does get wild, but it's still it's still very controlled, um, which I think is a testament to Barker still being involved and in kind of the culture of British filmmaking. Because at this point, we're still across the pond with this one. Um, but yeah, that that's my initial thoughts to it on what makes it so great is that we don't just rehash more of what we liked about the first one. This is actually, as you said, if they're working on it at the same time even, we're building story. We're adding to it. We're giving the viewer from before and from after. And I, I think that's wonderful. And I think they did a great job too. Of there, There's a lot of questions that you had when you watched Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. And yes. they answered a lot of the questions... But then there's still a lot of questions that you still have. So like like you said that we see Captain uh, Elliot Spencer who becomes Pinhead. Um, we go into hell. We see some of the other Cenobites, but it never goes full in depth, and so it still leaves you wanting more. But it doesn't it doesn't make you want to walk away from the series ever. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so do we want to run through uh, summarizing some common ideas from this? I know with this many films, we don't need to do full on. You know, synopsis of each film, but if there's uh, some areas of this we want to cover in the progressions, especially in part two, let's do it. I like Dr. Uh, Dr. Philip Channard. Mm-hmm. I thought uh, that was a great character. Um, he is the one I'm thinking of. He's the he's the one that gets Dr. Turned... Chenard. Chenard. I don't. I can be wrong too. No, no, no. You're right. I did, but I like. He's the one that gets turned into the so Cenobite. Can, can I can I say something I never really noticed as much is how much he's into the occult. I think probably first view, and I never picked up any of that. I just, I think I felt like he heard her story and was into it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I never pieced together. He's got who Elliot Spencer is and yeah. all this stuff at his home. And watching it again, I'm like, did he build the institute because of his obsession for the occult? I never really thought about that before, but uh, I, I'm watching it again. I noticed how much he really is into this stuff already. Before you know, yeah. before he would have ever even yeah, met his involvement with with psychiatric help is a, is basically uh, a filter. Yeah, because well, there, there's who a wants to help him with this fascination. Why I never tied that the institute's his name for one, because um, it's the Chenard Institute. <laughs> uh, but the fact that there's a basement that's uh, that's a bunch of people that are I, I assume only a few people that work at the the institute know about. So. Watching it again, I'm like, how long has this guy been into this kind of stuff and, and abusing his power as yeah. a doctor? I never really thought about that much before. Mm-hmm. And we open this film up with Christy in the psychi- uh, psychiatric hospital with him. She is begging to have the mattress destroyed that is still left over from the crime scene where everything that we know that happened in the first one uh, still is because she knows at this point that that's the only way we can have Julie come back. So yeah. she's, you know, in essence, fueling information uh, to the doctor who, you know, we will discover, we don't at the time, we think along, you know, with like the detectives who are there questioning or is there to help. But obviously we find out, uh, his, is it his assistant, uh, Kyle, 
uh, that goes back to his house um, with her and and uncovers a lot of this. Yeah, the kid from Aliens. Yeah, and so we, we have um, Julia there at that point who uh, ends him. So Which it, is such a sweet scene. And it's, yeah. I think it's she's kind of she's she's essentially become Frank where yeah yeah or you know so we thought because I thought she escaped from hell like the first movie mm-hmm. where you know we find out that she's actually kind of running a little bit more than what we we know and and she's she's just trying to take more people into hell with her yeah and the doctor had stolen the mattress I didn't mention that little sliver there he had stolen the mattress and that's how we brought her back uh, through her, him doing the work. Uh, to bring her back because he is obsessed with all of it. He wants to know more. He wants to know about the other side and uh, everything that that is coming with these puzzle boxes in hell. He wants to know greater pleasures and and, and the whole nine yards. It's never really fully mentioned either because it's kind of through different memories of different people. But he did kill Tiffany's mother, correct? Just to... I'm taking it because she loves puzzles. Yeah. And so he's using that that knack to, to get her to open the doorway to hell mm-hmm. yeah which we we have tiffany who fits in very well uh, in terms of in comparison to what horror viewers know in 80s horror movies we've got the token prodigy uh who is there and she's actually really good in this role but she is brought in uh as you said to to help solve uh the puzzle box and one of my favorite scenes out of the entire franchise is when she does and we open up the 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 pathways uh, to hell, and we have the Cenobites come in, and I love it. Pinhead clarifies that she was forced to do that. We are not here for her. And then yeah. something about hand, hands isn't what opens the box. Yeah, and I just that's my favorite scene. Fair. <laughs> I mean, besides some of the obvious gore and and fun stuff, that's my favorite moment out of the franchise. I thought that was just excellent and added this depth and you know kind of just towering feeling to his character. You know, that he's always in control, and there is some right and wrong in him, and reason, which is just kind of unique, uh, you know, to movie monsters. And, and I think a big thing, too, is, uh, um, this is where Oliver Smith comes in again, but um, he appears in Kirstie's room as, as what she believes is her father, so that he's in hell, help me. So that's kind of her her want to go into hell. Good point. <clears throat> is to, is to, to bring her father back. Well, you talked about how the this... You know, the movie leaves you with questions and they answer some and still give you more. And I actually put in my note that it kind of reminds me of Phantasm a little bit. In that I was regard. thinking Phantasm a little yeah. bit, yeah. Part 2 reminds me a lot of it's Phantasm-ish in, in its story. So I kind of dig that. You know, especially with the going to the other realm or hell or whatever it is. Like, you know, they pan back at one point and it's just this huge elaborate maze. And you're like, wow, that's kind of cool. <laughs> you know, kind of dig it. So we've entered hell. Uh, we have uh, our couple in there walking around. Uh, was it Leviathan, uh, the Great Maze? Uh, the labyrinth. Yeah, with uh, the the crazy shape in the center that's like the heart of the energy of it all. I'm not going to try and and explain it because I won't do it justice. Um, but that's where we uh, really jump to the next level of storytelling. I think that they had the courage to tackle that. Um, I find it fascinating. I, I think their view of it, like, if I had to, if you had to ask me what I, I don't know that I quite believe in hell, mm-hmm. but if I had to picture a private hell for me, it's going to be cold and probably snowy and... DMV. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, the Beetlejuice scene where I'm stuck in the lobby. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't picture warm at all. I picture cold and, and isolated and I think, um... Uh, 
their idea of what hell is, which, which again, like as you start going, we go through a couple people's different hells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is a little say, different for each person. The, the but idea of hell that we explore in some of the later sequels, yeah. I find very fascinating. Yeah. So that comes into play in, in quite a few movies actually coming up. Yeah. So we've got the Doctor and Julia um, in hell. Uh, doctor gets cold feet. Realizes maybe he bit <laughs> off more than he could chew. Um, he and he basically tries. I think to that's flee. every character that encounters this. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like he said, there's, there's not. They're like, I didn't ask for you. It's like I wish they would have done the one where the dude was actually too horny. <laughs> like, look, I was looking <laughs> for a ten. He's like, go for it, cool. Uh, but yeah, he tries to flee. He is killed. Um, and In a pretty cool way. Actually. Yeah, we turn the dot. Elaborate for the listeners. So they, they kind of push him in. It's like a. Iron Maidenish type of thing, mm-hmm. right? And the, the wire, the, this looks like imagine a cheese slicer, right? Yeah. And it kind of wraps around his face, but there's multiple cutters, yeah, so to speak, and it kind of wraps around his head. And it looked pretty cool. It's impressive. Yeah. So we now have the doctor as a Cenobite, um, and we have the big scene. I mean, do we want to go too much more? We're starting to get pretty late into the hour here on this. So basically. Uh, we progress to the end where we've got Tiffany has re-entered um, back in there. We're back in all the way to the end. Um, she's in there to solve the puzzle, and Julia, uh, who got revenge on Frank previously, distracts with Kiss. Um, I'm just reading notes here just to speed this up. Um, Tiffany solves the puzzle during the distraction. Um, the doctor is ripped apart. Julia catches Tiffany falling off the ledge and saves her, but that's not her. That's Christy and her skin, which was, uh, pretty impressive. Um, and then basically it's, it's the ending with them fleeing and the portal closing. And we have that kind of classic feeling, um, that we ended the first one with, with the puzzle box being back at the dealer. This one, we have the movers, uh, running into problems when moving, uh, the doctor's home, and it closes with "What is your pleasure, sir?" So the the one is the same mover from part one. Yes, very good. Um, um, I, I think weird. This is where uh, the the original ending, and again they were they were making this during Hellraiser. Original okay. ending was that Julia was going to come out of the mattress at the end, and she's the new queen of hell. And between her not wanting, she's the the actress is not a horror fan at all. She loved the movies. Didn't want to return, and and everyone's like the guy with the pins. So they changed the ending, um, where now we get the pillar of souls that come out of the mattress, and and Pinhead is a part of the the pillar, um, because at the end we did miss where uh, Doctor Chenard, uh, as the Cenobite comes through, and they plead with the human side of the Cenobites to help them fight the fight the evil Doctor Chenard, and. Uh, he kind of makes them all human again. I think yeah, the that's most, a good point. The most damn disturbing one to me is the chatterer because it's a little oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. Little boy, yeah. <laughs> well, he's a disturbing He's a disturbing uh, Cinnabite anyways. And and there's just some little boy. So That's true. That's a good point, though, with with going back and, and reminding them of who they were. Yeah. Because I think that plays a little bit with part three is that, yeah. you know, he, he he's no longer Pinhead at the end of the film. He's, he's Dr. Elliot Spencer. And then we have the pillar of souls that come out of the bed, and then the end of the film. 
forever. Yes. Beautiful sequel. I highly Until. recommend this one as well. I assume everybody echoes the oh, same yeah. feelings on yeah. that. To uh, me, th- these two are the core of the franchise. Yeah. And after this point, it kind of takes a little bit of a detour. Um, but the whole Julia Frank thing definitely plays the first two films out. Yeah. And it, from there on out, it felt like, well, let's write a movie to put this guy in it. You know? Which most of them were very entertaining. You know, I well, think it would be fun to explore that if we're moving on to part three. Did you have anything else you were going to say? Uh, uh, it led into the third one. So. Okay, perfect. Segway. Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, 1992, directed by Anthony Hickok, uh, written by Peter Atkins, starring Kevin Bernhardt, Terry Farrell, Ken Carpenter, Paula Marshall, and Doug Bradley as Captain <laughs> Elliot Spencer slash Pinhead. Okay. Initial thoughts on part three. We'll, we'll speed these next two up. And then we'll I'll say real quick on, on part three because, again, they are doing these back-to-back. So while they're filming Hellraiser 2, they're already announced Hellraiser 3 Hell on Earth, which probably would have opened in 1989. But New World shut down for business. It ended. And I think that's our delay. Um, where we were going, which is I think was opening in two, is they wanted to touch on the Cenobites and their stories. And I, I don't know fully, like, obviously they do Pinheads in, in the third story. I don't know if they were going to do the other Cenobites, but something that's a little bit missing. But, um, I, and I didn't know uh, Clyde Barker's involvement, because at this point, by the time they actually went to film the movie, he wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah. But uh, the Weinstein brothers is who end up with the, uh, putting the picture out. They had Clyde Barker come in, and he actually made some changes to where he would allow them to put his name as, like... Clyde Barker presents. So Clyde Barker even has a little bit of story writing. Gotta a get little that bit. money. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't think he cares about money. Get but. that movie cred. Um, and also a weird thing, and it, as fans we might not have liked it, but Clyde Barker wasn't sold mm-hmm. on Pinhead. Like, that's not what Hellraiser was about to him. So I think if he would have had full control, Pinhead would probably have been barely in the movie, if at all. I think they were leading That's to Pinhead point. not lead the series. So. Yeah, because he, he wouldn't have wanted him to, to yeah. drive that car. It's like Friday the 13th. Like, Jason was the accidental star of the film. Yeah. You know, Pin, Pinhead was the accidental star of of this. They didn't really have intentions of it being the fans that. fans speak. It, yeah, if, yeah, if yeah. The studios are smart, they listen. The you audience kind of told you what to do there. Do, you know? do we want initial... I, I'm going to say, like, my last viewing of it. My, my initial view, you know, I was young when it came out, and um, it, horror was a little dry in 92, um, so I, I wouldn't have cared what this was. I wouldn't I would have went and saw it. I loved it, and um, going back, it's not as good yeah. at all, and it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, the story I think's there, I think it's just, it's almost generic, I guess, Very. and I don't want to crap on this movie, because a lot of people absolutely adore this movie. But watching it again, I didn't feel as strongly as I used to. I would say that I would rate this way below part four. I would too. Um, and yeah, that's that's absolutely. where I'm standing at now from, from watching them and again. I actually figured I would be alone <laughs> on that. But um, mm. my initial thoughts for this is it's Americanized. I mean, yes. it, it takes place in America. They filmed yeah. it in America, yeah. Yeah, unlike we, the other. We, we, we move it <laughs> to America, but we also make the movie like Americans, uh, where the is the first two very much British. more sophisticated films. Those were Kid Rock CDs that he was shooting <laughs> yeah. out. So, so to me, the best way of phrasing it is the first two were made for adults. This was made for young adults, and we're and we're trying to give a more of a fun, less stuffy uh, film, the and more centered around Pinhead. And more 
you know, common in the ideas of horror movies that young people were watching at that point. And to be perfectly honest, always have and always will yeah. in this country. Um, I, to me, the way I judge films, I'm going to be harder on this one because it's all about like who handed the baton. This is where the big change was made. Uh, and so I'm much more forgiving from that point on as, yeah. as we hand the baton. But this to me is the biggest drop because one and two are masterful films. This is fairly pedestrian in, in comparison. Um, I feel like four uh, greatly builds on the storyline and is more creative um, than this is. So that's just my initial thoughts. And like I said at the beginning of the show, everything from here on out, first time viewing. Yeah. So maybe if I saw this when I was younger, I would enjoy it a little bit more. But I thought it was just kind of kind of an average film compared to, to what I'd seen in the first two. Well, notice, watching it this time, I noticed the, ad, the addition of comedy, which is strange for Hellraiser at this point. And it was also, uh, they had like the score and stuff of the first two films, where this one still has that, but it has like a like a metal soundtrack going along with it. And I don't know if it always worked together. Yeah. And then um, JP... Is that his name? The club owner guy. I mean, let's be real. That that dude, he was just Larry. I wrote him down as a douchey Marky <laughs> or Frank, Mark. Frank. Yeah, Frank's J- the douchebag brother. J.P. Monroe. Yeah. Initial yeah, thoughts, Chad. Oh, I didn't like this movie. I don't like the solo. Did you, watch, did you watch it? I don't like the, uh, I don't like the, uh, the statue. I didn't like, uh, I didn't understand the boiler room. Was that supposed to be some metaphor for the seven layers of hell? Because the boiler room is a, a metal club, a goth bar, a restaurant, yeah. a fucking, like, I didn't know if there was dry were, cleaner. Well, no, it, it, to me, it seemed like there was a lot of symbolism in this movie that they yeah, tried, yeah. that they wanted to get across that never fucking came across. And I just, I didn't get it. I mean, I just, and rewatching it again, I wrote down the same things. I don't get it. We use, I mean, there's flowing things. We use his blood to activate the statue. You know, when JP right. used JP's blood to activate the statue, um, he was a douchey character to begin with. Then we moved that on. Um, they turn everybody they can into a Cenobite. <laughs> like everybody, it's like, oh no, that's the camera head. That's, that's the it, piston that's head. CD that's CD man. The, that's yeah. That, There's this bartender. Guy, this guy <laughs> shoots out Kid Rock CDs. Like <laughs> Toddy said. So, I just it just seemed like you said it was a very Americanized and it played off of Americanized themes. It was just like, oh, we take everything it, the world views us as and taking everything into excess. And I know that's kind of what this is about, the the stories. But here it's just like, oh no, we have a club full of people touching and groping and, and moshing and doing everything under the sun and the one douchey asshole controls it all and now he has the power of hell at his command. Yeah. Which doesn't what happens. So I mean, this one just missed the mark for me on several different layers, man. Like I don't know. So basically, I did like the Ashley Lawrence cameo. I want to put that out there. Oh, I, I have that the video. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, like I have, I have some positive things I was gonna say, and that that was one of them. Is yeah. the Shenard video archives? Yeah, that was. I mean, that was cool. I mean, not everything was bad, but no, I know. I get. Re- was, it, it, this is uh watching them back to back. This yeah. one feels so different. Yeah. What say you, Ryan? I think this movie was uh, their attempt at taking the pinhead character and making him more of a focal point, and it just kind of just missed the mark. Um, valiant effort, but I think it they they you know the the first two were 
way different films yeah. as far as this one. Yeah, this isn't the worst looking film. No, 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 no. As far as the look, it looked yeah, great. Which I think it's just that they tried to turn there. him into the Jason and the Freddy yep. and stuff. And I don't think it quite worked in this film. No, for because some in the first two films, he is controlled, he's disciplined. And in this one, he's, he's he has no rules. controlled and bloodthirsty. Yeah, well, he's, yeah. he's, he's smashing. His him. good side's gone. He has no rules. Yeah. And, and hell's not tying him down. I, I, I Positive for me, I actually like the Pillar of Souls. For, to a point, I do. For I thought distance. it was. I thought it was cool. Yeah, it, to a point, it was yeah. cool. When we when we're panned in close on him talking in it, it looks like something from the Naked Gun. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, and, that's and, what I'm talking about. Yeah. The, the the idea when yeah. he when he is released is kind of cool, but I'm sorry. Did you guys feel Carrie when he went through the bar? Like right. I'm, I'm pretty sure at some point he looked and was like, rear, rear, and there's some chains like, come yeah, through. No, and, like he's just he comes out and he's just like. He, he he puts a hand over here, and we cut to the heart and cut it's, to the it, door. And then, it's Nightmare Two with the pool. Yeah, not, we yeah. don't have rules yes. anymore. Yeah. We don't have rules anymore because before thing, yeah. you needed to open the box, and we're coming for you. Right. Now these people are just are being a hoe in a bar, children. and yeah. they got killed. Um, which speaking of hoe in a bar, did anybody see Zach Galligan? No. He's got an odd little yeah, cameo there. He, director. Yeah, he gets stabbed with the pool stick. Oh, is that him? Okay. Yeah, it's it's hard to see. Um, this is also the first time that Pinhead is ever called Pinhead in the film series. Yes. Right. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad. I like I like the weird dream war sequences for some reason. Oh yeah, with the reporters. Following. Yeah, and yeah, I right. think if they wouldn't have went more with that, which was kind of cool. That felt like a little disjointed um, mess there, but. And then uh, I don't know. Peter Jackson was asked to direct this. I don't know if he'd feel differently if he did. Because <laughs> Dead Alive and Meet the Feebles were weird ass movies, just like this yeah. one. So Dude, this does have one of my favorite lines though, when she runs into the church, and the the priest looks at her. He's like, "Honey, demons aren't real. Demons are just parables." And she turns around. She's like, "Then what the fuck is that?" <laughs> I, standing at the doorway with the doors. Oddly, like, oh, like the church scene too. I'm like, I, I don't think you're way. you're supposed to, but yeah. Okay, oh so I uh, hate to cut anybody short, but we were up good. to 51 minutes and we're not done with part three, okay. so I'm going to speed this along real quick on this one. The Four, basic, hated it. The, Five, basic hated premise, it. <laughs> the basic premise of this is we have a reporter who witnesses a kid being pulled apart by chains in the ER. She goes to investigate it. We come across J.P. Monroe, who is And he says, spoiled. come to daddy. He is the spoiled <laughs> club owner, uh, and we go back and forth with that, and at the end... Uh, our reporter places the box after things have been, uh, you know, solved and we're coming to a close. She puts the box in the in a foundation of a oh. construction site, which that was cool. We erect the building over, which what has it all over the design the of the interiors, wrecked. the puzzle box. Yeah, it's everywhere. Which that was kind of up cool. again in the next one. So yes. moving on to Hellraiser Four. <laughs> Hellraiser Four. Hellraiser Bloodline. 1996, directed by Alan Smithy or Kevin Yeager, <laughs> and written by Peter Atkins, starring Bruce Ramsey, Valencia Vargas, Doug Bradley, my favorite, Adam Scott, the beautiful Miss Kim Myers, and uh, the kid who was everywhere, Cortland Mead. And did we throw it in there, Kenneth Toby, who is uh, our main guy from The Thing, from oh. Another World? Didn't know he that. pops up in there, too. Does he? Yep. Oh, wait, wait. No, you know, I have that in my notes to the thing, actually, because <laughs> I was like, son of a bitch. Yep, fun little tie in there. So, I, you know what? This kind of stinks because I really like this one, but we have to be quick on this. Oh. Just so we still have quite a few movies to Initial thoughts. We, we're in the fourth movie on the franchise, and we already made it to outer space. <laughs> yeah. I think, how, how, let's just, how do you how do you feel around the table? I like, I like four. I, I like I like that we get to see some history. I like the, because it's the history of the puzzle box. We see we got to see Pinhead. Now we see how 
hell has been pushed into this puzzle box. And I like Adam Scott. I don't fucking watch anything with Adam Scott. Seriously. I wish they hadn't made three and just part four would have been the next. I think it would have took off better. I really liked I liked the whole backstory because it answered a lot of questions. It was entertaining. Th- and, this, one, this one was great. And they gave us another female demon. You know, somebody other than Pinhead who was out doing things. Right, yeah. I like that. Part four was my favorite sequel outside of part two. So mm-hmm. once once we get into this whole string of films, yep. this is my favorite. And uh, true admission real quick. On social media, when this first started, I took on Facebook and put on there, I was like, let it be known <laughs> that by part four we're in space... That was a quick judgment because that wasn't the point of the film. Right. And in fairness to me, I did right. point that out in the comment. Uh, with this, we are in the year 2127, and then we jump back up, to folks. the past, and we're learning all kinds of stuff. But before we go with it, uh, I want to hear Hot Toddy's um, opinion on this. I actually I saw this when it came out. I think I like it even more. Like The more I view it, the more I like it. Um, I don't... I get why Kevin Yeager walked off, but I, I like this cut of the film because the other cut was chronological. And I think it would probably be boring if we went from the 1800s to space. Um, I like the I like we get the history of the the Le Marchant box. Yeah, um, kind of cool. The the fact that Pinhead mm-hmm. wasn't the the head cheese, you know. Right. There, there's demons before him, um, and and space was actually. I don't know if that's where I would have took it if I wrote it. But space fit in with the story, where instead of, uh, like, Critters is a great example. Those bastards came from space, and I'm still like, why are we in space? Yeah. Where Hellraiser, it made sense why they went to space when they did. Um, yeah. The, uh, I like the original Cenobites, but, like, uh, at least they were a little bit inventive on these. And they, um, and I don't know, Doug Bradley can sell me on anything. So I, I, en- I enjoy part four. Like even a lot stronger than part three. I yeah. would pop that in and just watch it. Yeah. Like I don't have I, to like watch I would go out of my way to upgrade part four to Blu-ray and watch that with the the other yeah. ones that I have. Uh, I really like that one. Did anybody notice that uh, Pinhead looked more like he was in a death metal band in this one? <laughs> 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 the yeah. costume changes He's a little bit, but yeah. for yeah. the most part, it's the same. But in this, when he steps out yeah. the first time, and you're just like. We'll call that the uh, drop nah, nah, D. Nah, nah, nah. Drop D Pinhead. Um, um, the, the only other things I had is. Um, Del Toro and Stuart Gordon were asked to direct. Okay. Um, I like the movie, so I don't know if it would have been good or bad. And then, um, and on a side note, this is the last theatrical Hellraiser title. Yes. Okay. Wow. Did not know that. Interesting. Which uh, I didn't until I started reading on this too. Just, yeah. just to give uh, listeners an idea of what this film is and why it's worth watching, we go back a couple hundred years, and I know we kind of touched on this, but just to spell it out. What's great about this is that while we open in space and the viewer at first, at least I was, was like, Ugh. oh no, <laughs> like Leprechaun in space, Jason X, yeah, these we, are not my favorite Medea in space. Yeah. So, I wondered if this actually inspired like Jason going to space and that whole thing, because this I was have. kind of the first of them. But with this, we, we are briefly there, and then we spend a ton of time hundreds of years ago learning the origins of the toy maker making the box, so you get the, the, the history on that. And the storytelling in that is rich. And the reason we have the title Bloodline is because we're, we're dealing with the bloodline of the toy maker. Of the match. Yeah. And, 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 and the present day one, too, is in the building from the end of three. Yep. Yep. And so then we have a good cast and time that we spend in present day. And we are in the future that we're dealing with there. So within this story, in a part four, we have three... 
we have three different time periods with basically different storylines within each of them that don't they're not weak in comparison to the other. The movie moves very swiftly. It's not even an hour and a half long. Great sequel. I this this was yeah. the true shocker for me. Now I was surprised at the overall quality that the franchise maintains, even when I think they're bad. It's still not a bad film. Okay, yeah. uh, but this is my favorite out of the sequels after the first two. And, and, so and this, this is the first one. This is the second Miramax. This is the first one that's Miramax when Disney owned it. So I think there was still a pretty big budget when when Miramax did Dimension Films. Okay, so, and and it, even the straight to video sequels because that's where we lead is, it's it's Miramax but and uh, Dimension but owned by Disney. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I really like the bloodline aspect of it. You know, you, like we get to follow this one cursed family. This family's cursed. Every single male that lives in this family, you know, has to deal with the shit. You know that his ancestors yeah. had put forth. So I thought that was real neat. I do like the Cenobites. I like the way they the way they come back. I really liked her. Um, the kid, the kid, the kid from The Shining. Yeah, that's what from the yeah, yeah. That that kid's in everything in the '90s, man. But uh, I really like this one too, man. And uh, like I said, I watch anything with Adam Scott. So that, that was I kind of liked that he popped up as an asshole. I was like, oh, that's so neat, man. Um, I don't know. Uh, I really like this one. I mean, it's definitely worth watching. Like it's it's definitely worth watching, guys. Yes, if you if you have enjoyed the first two and watched those. Keep with it. This, and and, this and it, 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 it continues with the series, which part five there I don't feel there's a connection. Yeah. So we'll roll into Hellraiser five. Yeah, and let's uh, let's do some lightning rounds on these because <laughs> we are at the uh, one hour mark. And uh, to be perfectly honest, we start regurgitating some themes okay. and ideas in these films. So let's uh, let's still give our info, basic quick summaries, and initial thoughts on this, the film. This is my exact next. writing. Oh, what do we got? Match and uh, details. Hellraiser Inferno, two thousand. Scott Derrickson, written by Paul Harris Boardman and Scott Derrickson, the director, uh, starring Craig Sheffer, Nicholas Turturro, James Remar. And Doug Bradley. I just want to put out, I like all four of the leads in this movie a lot. I like Craig Sheffer movies a lot more than I thought I was. And you could take Pinhead out of this movie, Hellraiser out of this movie. I'd still watch this movie. Well, here's the thing. You could. <laughs> because the script, I didn't know this till afterwards, so I'll read my note here in a second. But this script was written not as a Hellraiser film. And as I learned later, many of the sequels from this point forward were tell. not written to be a, a Hellraiser film, right. but they retooled them to interject him in there, which makes a lot of sense because I said, the series is now starting to feel like Saw movies, writing a script just to keep things going for the sake of making a movie um, and interjecting little bits of, of you know Pinhead in there because that's what it felt like. Uh, but the, the best thing I can say about this is that there was a quote that I really liked. I mean, you could just take this as you know, life advice or whatever. But he says, your flesh is killing your spirit. Oh, dude. Which is such a great... So great. I mean, that's just life advice. Like, yeah, you're sitting around yeah. drinking all the time, that's killing your spirit, man. Like, Oh, no, I love that. He had, Don't let your flesh line. kill you. I was like, that's just... Maybe that needs to be like life advice, pinhead, you know? <laughs> the <laughs> more no, you know. You, like you said, man, we're just doing this quick. Uh, my best note on this movie is this is a dope crime drama. Like, yes. without pinhead altogether, I'd, like I said, I'd still watch this movie. I like this movie. That That cop... Doing what he's doing, dealing with what he's dealing yeah. with. Very, not as creepy as, but a very Along Came the Spider. Very, You know, it's like a dark crime job. I dug this movie, man. This goes for the next couple of sequels for me, but I think I'm going to sum up at least how I felt about it. This film and a couple later as well. These are really good movies, but as a Hellraiser film, it's weak. Spot on. 
you know what I mean? Like, I would, I I'm with you. I would watch this movie. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that they're calling it Hell, it's like a Halloween three thing, yeah. right? Because like, yeah, frequently call it anything else would be the shit. Studios have scripts that they don't know what to do with. They're how they're going to make money, and yeah. they that's a, they do exactly what you're talking about. They interject it into a franchise that is a guaranteed. I would have liked this more out. probably as a non Hellraiser film than yeah. Now I film. do my favorite thing I want to mention with this is is our basically end reveal with the idea of hell being this. What, yeah. what we're in the middle of, what yeah. we're doing, we're reliving it, and we don't really know it. Right. And and that that is, you know, like, you know, basically the punishment, the hell, the purgatory that's happening. Um, that idea fascinated me. With that said, I agree 100% with what you're saying. I don't think this is a bad film, per se. No. But if you're watching it for a Hellraiser film, we are yeah. now starting to really drift away from the ideas and the history and the, and the building to the story that I feel that, yeah. that we've had Not even connected. so far. Because in all, in all fairness, the moment he opened that box up, there should have been three or four Cenobites being like, you summoned us, now yeah. it's time to go to hell. This is where we start, like you said, we start drifting away from, from the rules. Right. And I mean, I know we're, this isn't screen, but literally, when you set up rules in a franchise, it helps feed the franchise, but... We get into some mission drift, some movie drift, like a motherfucker with these next <laughs> yeah. because it's all of a sudden anything's hell. Yeah, any like anybody who touches the puzzle box now, instead of going, "Oh, we're here to take you now," you broke the rules. It's like, um, you do whatever you got to do. Go report. Go find things out. Go play around and do whatever you got to do, and we're gonna fuck with you along the way because make for a good movie. I, I had a different take on this one. Go ahead. Um, he opened the box a long time ago. Th- this is his hell. Yeah. Um, he's repeating. Oh, that's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if I would have liked. I liked. I, it's it's weird because it's it's definitely like you said. Um, I this, a lot of the sequels, the straight to video ones. I look at them as a tells from the crypt with Pinhead in them. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, um, that's a good way. To I don't know that it's a bad thing. Um, if you mm-hmm. go back and rewatch, he's looking for a serial killer known as the Engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of um, Hellraiser myth throughout the movie. Um. It wasn't my favorite, but I liked it a lot better than part three. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I really like the quote, are you going to frisk me or fuck me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, he, so when he frisked some weird S&M dude. Yeah. Really um, like that was pretty good. <laughs> I thought it was awesome Craig Schaefer's in it because yes. he's connected to Clyde Barker from Nightbreed. Yes. Um, and he was playing a detective, which to me reminded me of like Lord of Illusions. All right. Um, and then... Uh, it obviously worked because the director went on to direct Doctor Strange, Sinister, <laughs> Deliver yeah. Us from Evil, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Right. Um, yeah, and it also led us to Hellraiser 6. So, Right. Uh, final thoughts? Uh, at this point, I will say this. I no longer am recommending individual yeah. entries. It's now, a, now it just gets into ideas of why you should watch the franchise as a whole. Uh, uh-huh. My individual recommendations are done. It's not that the rest of them are bad films. They're just not ones that I would put money on a random friend loving this one. So it's okay. It's not bad. It feels kind of like, you know, a a switched up script to fit into the universe of Hellraiser. And I've seen a hell of a lot worse. If if, if I could only recommend one though, to go with Hellraiser, I would recommend Hellseeker to people. And I I think it's probably because Ashley Lawrence returning, but is that the next one, right? Yes. Hellraiser, Hellseeker, 2002, directed by Rick Boda. Remember that name? Written by Carl Dupree and Tim Dry. Uh, starring Ashley Lawrence, Doug Bradley, Rachel Hayward, and my favorite dude ever, Dennis Duffy. 
Dean Winters, man. <laughs> he plays I, Trevor. Dude, I... All I'll ever think of that guy is is from Thirty Rock ever. All I think Not of him commercials is all Thirty Rock. For me. He's he's Mr. Pussy to me, the guy yeah. that likes to go down on girls in uh, Sex and uh, the uh, City. <laughs> See, so I'm like, la, 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 it's Mr. So, Pussy versus Pinhead. So he's literally not Trevor to anybody in this room. Because <laughs> all I kept thinking, I just kept waiting for him to look at her and be like, "Come here and kiss me, dummy." <laughs> That's all I kept waiting on, man. Yeah. Overall thoughts on this one? Um. Oh. I like this movie. I did. Yeah. I, I. I. It started. This is the first of the skipping around movies. Uh, there's two of them. Um, I really like this movie. I like that we were getting pieces of it. Kind of. Kind of reminded me, listeners. Kind of reminded me of Memento. Not fully. You know, you're getting a piece of the story at a time until it all drifts into the same story and the end reveal. Forget about it. Oh, it was you killer. knew it was there, but it was dope. It's so killer. Oh man, seriously. This is I, especially I, I, that one scene where, like, the first time you get the glimpse of him giving Ashley the the puzzle box, yes. and she opens it up and freaks out. We know he doesn't know. Dude, that was amazing. I stand by what I said in the last film. Is this film? <laughs> this film is great. Right. It's a weak Hellraiser entry. If it was not called Hellraiser. It, I, it probably would have even been better if you would have took all the Hellraiser out of it. The premise of the story itself is awesome. Yeah, I, I loved it. I, this one I will what? say attaches itself more to the Hellraiser idea and and franchise than the last one. Yeah. Yes. Um, but still, you know, there, there's a feeling of it not being authentic in the terms of from when it started to to what oh, we have on the screen. Totally not. Uh, yeah. Plenty of things to enjoy about it. I love the return of Ashley Lawrence. Yep. Um, you know, it's just, at this point, it's just you either like it or you don't. Yeah. I mean, there's some different ideas that we're injecting into it, but it's basically the end reveal on who's the shittiest person. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it is. In this toilet bowl, which turd yeah. smells less? So, I, yeah, I didn't think this was a bad movie. I didn't think it was great. Um, but, yeah, that's my initial thoughts on it. I, I like the storyline, which is a businessman, and he's trying to unveil the mystery of the car crash that killed his wife, who we know is Kirstie Cotton. Um, he starts seeing a lot of weird things after the car wreck that may or may not be really happening. Um, I link back the sequels to the time they found me in my truck. I, I don't know how I got there. It's a mystery to me. Um, let's say I'm not allowed to do any hallucinogenics because now when I do, <laughs> everything fades away and I'm really in a hospital bed and everything is fake. And I'm, I'm convinced, like right now, and he might be I might halfway be thinking I'm still in that hospital bed. <laughs> so these kind of movies play on that a little bit with me. Um, yeah, and, and from here on out, like I enjoyed it. I, I literally look at each installment from here on out as... As like a Twilight Zone or Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, it's a um, good way. Of looking. I, I would almost, you know what? Like Hellraiser the series might not be far off, and I would probably watch oh, it. Oh, dude, I'd watch it if it was like yeah. this. Yeah, I really would. Uh, that's that's pretty much. Other than my biggest notes was just Mr. Pussy is married to <laughs> Kirsty Cotton. Right. Like I said, like nobody thinks of this guy as Trevor. Everybody went through this movie with a different voice in their head, and it wasn't this guy. <laughs> that's. I'm sorry. So we didn't mean for it to. Be I think that we way. could lead to uh, seven. Yeah. Is that it? Is that what we get to say? You okay. guys watch watch six. I really like six. Six is six is good. Again, <laughs> again five is good. But as a Hellraiser film, they're weak. If if you could could you oh. tell somebody to watch five and six and go watch them, but kind of disregard the pinhead stuff. Do you think? It but could I still think be six is more connected just because of um, Ashley Lawrence. That's true. That's true. I, I will say this. I think at this point, if somebody is still popping in it into their player to watch Hellraiser five. 
they're they're probably going to be cool with it. Think think yeah, of other yeah, franchises yeah. where you're now on part six. Yeah. As it's the worst thing you've ever seen in a franchise. Yeah. No, I totally yeah. see where you're. But I see what from. he's saying too. Yeah. Yeah. So we're at Hellraiser Debtor 2005. Rick Boda, Neil Marshall Stevens, and Tim Dry were the writers. Uh, Carrie Woolher, Paul <laughs> Rice, Mark Warren, George Irina, and Doug Bradley. And we open up in a shooting house of some sort. Um, I'm just going to put that out there. My initial thoughts on Debtor was I didn't like Debtor. It was shit. <laughs> Carrie Warren was so hot and thinner, though. I just got to throw that out there. Okay, look, <laughs> man. Gypsy? I just, oh my this, God. this one was a step down, I think, from the last two. Yeah, it, Way it down. for me, it definitely was. Yeah. The whole feel of this movie, again, was. I don't know if this was written as one of the Hellraiser movies, but seriously, mm-hmm. like, yeah. this, this was weird cult of weird cult going on over here and we're just going to throw pinhead at the head that, that, of it cuz it made no sense when he came in this was no. another one where they took a original script and, yeah, and I was it, I, mean, I feel like this one felt more of that than the other two yeah like yeah. i could i mean he interacted better in the other two than in this one well i don't I, 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 I feel like this one was more like what this one almost had nothing to do with Hellraiser. like we've never seen people come back yeah. from the dead like they've they've been escaped hell, but like this was deader, and they definitely were like just trying to figure out a way to throw a pinhead in there. Yeah, I liked Amy, a reporter. Okay. Was that the yeah. booby girl? Yeah, I, well, I liked the why. investigative reporter and the angle. Which she investigated look at, hard, and the boss that's uh, <laughs> sending her there, and the cycle of that that he clearly uh, is going to continue doing that. Um, it definitely is a drop in quality, uh, but even still, it's still it was fairly entertaining. For a part seven that's not that good. Right on. Okay. I'll you know, it, it still held a decent script. I mean, there there's a lot of franchises by now that are just crapping on celluloid by part seven. And, um, and I thought that it was still a, a fairly entertaining, at least. And, and th- this one is the, the the bad guy, I guess. He was a <clears throat> descendant to the, the toy maker, correct? The merchant. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he was a merchant. But here's... I, I gave up on the merch because we... He pops back up, you know, that kind of stuff pops back up periodically. I gave up on it. Like, I think they just wanted to use that name. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, okay, well, you just killed this guy. Does he have a kid who's carrying on the bud line? No, yeah. I mean, seriously, yeah, so, like, really I was. give up. You know, like, that's cool. I have a fantastic note on this film, and it's the only note that I made. <laughs> and I think this is going to sum the whole thing up for me. Go ahead. Um, I read a review of this, okay? And the review was simply this, and I quote, Carrie Wurr is a pair of tits reading lines. Jesus. My response was, yeah, but what a pair of tits. <laughs> I didn't think she was that bad. And then I typed, this is literally all I have to say about this film. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, wow. Moving on to the next no, installment. Hold on. Give me one more. Um, my my only question at this great. point in my, my one note is, where do people keep getting these fucking puzzle boxes? I can't find a decent replica online because I want to put one in my case. So Shadar's house alone, he had like 20 boxes. That's what I'm saying. Like every time you turn around, they're just like, check this out. And there's all these badass puzzle boxes. Buy buy in bulk and save. Was the the editor or whatever, do you think he was the attached to hell? Because at the end, Mm -hmm. a reporter comes in and he's like, oh, look, a mystery. Oh, Oh, definitely, yeah. What do we have here? Um, What do you guys think? Watch or pass? Seven? Yeah. Pass. Eh, hard pass. Debtor. Remember it, Debtor. I, I would I, I would still I'd watch say it. I'd still watch it. Yeah. For me, this still holds keep the going, tone of the Keep series. going. Keep going. Right on. Um, Hellraiser. Hellworld. 2005. Director Rick Boda. Written by Carl Dupree. Starring 
Lance Hendrickson. Lance Hendrickson, yeah. Catherine right. Winnick, Christopher Jacket, 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 whatever, uh, Carrie Payton, Superman, Superman <laughs> Henry Cavill, and Doug Bradley. And I'm going to put this out there. This is my favorite of all the sequels. I love this movie. I'm not going to make you happy then. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let me bridge. Let me bridge then. Get uh, ready. <laughs> this is uh, this is screener day back at the video store. So, and they made uh, seven and eight back to back. And they released them a few months apart. So I got screeners for both at the same time. I hated seven and liked eight really well. Rewatching it, I didn't like it as well. And I, I think I just noticed more things like... Um, if you've encountered Pinhead, you didn't live to tell about it. So yeah. we're not going to see merch with uh, Pinhead's face on right. the back. Yeah, yeah. And a computer game with Doug Bradley's voice. Um, that was a little cheesy. I was but. definitely... Ta- I, I didn't like it rewatching it. And I would say of the straight two videos, this is the worst one. Oh, yeah, and I didn't feel that way when I first watched it. Boo, Mad Chan, give me that um, <laughs> What I did enjoy thoroughly was... Henry Cavill, I did like watching that. Henry Cavill, yeah. Um, and then I found out, uh, looking up this, Lance Henriksen, he was actually offered the role. Who the hell was he supposed to play? I think he was supposed to play Larry or somebody in the first movie and turned it down. So oh, he I turned did, it I, down. Yeah, I did read turned that. Turned it down, but came back for part eight. Okay. <laughs> so let me get, get to where I was yep. saying. So are we 50-50 here? Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of. Here's the thing. I don't dislike this movie, but it's important for me to point out to listeners who maybe are checking this franchise out for the first time, to me, this is where the tone leaves the franchise, okay? Even in the movies that weren't all that hot, they still had a darkness to them and a balance of shitty people versus people trying to find themselves and some good in there. Whereas this, I feel like we are now into... Bad people. Just kind of copying other films. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's okay, but it's important to point out. Yeah. Like Th- this is the first one too in a while that was it was not a it wasn't a script already made. They actually made a script for yeah. Hellraiser. Now, see, and that's that's the messed up thing because this would be the one where I would take Hellraiser, Hell World out of it and call it. Yes, Game of the Damned. Damn, I'm and so it was, with seriously, you on this if they just called and, this and Game of the Damned, I'd have watched it every and third, day. Oh my God, this is yeah. third in a row from Rick Boda, so it's the yeah. same director. The yeah. last three pictures. So, Get out of my head. <laughs> what I'm what I'm saying here though is that, like this film is not horrible, right? But for me, Halloween Halloween Resurrection has already happened, and that's stunk. Mm-hmm. And so it just this doesn't feel like its own world. Like even when the sequels that didn't land all that well. It was still that Hellraiser brand. This now feels like it's venturing out into more of the zeitgeist and and the, the teen oh, I get you. aim yeah. to it and yeah. and the gaming and <clears throat> there were parts of it I enjoyed. Like in particular, one of my favorite scenes is when the girl can't figure out why the cop can't see her. I thought there were some really cool yeah. things with storytelling. Still, this was not a bad movie, and I want to retract my statement. I like this better than the last one, like the next one, right? Uh, personally. But still, this to me is where we jump the shark a little bit. Okay. Because the, That's we, because now, the further away we get from where we started, to step back and look at it, and look at this, and and the serious nature of the first two, is just... Years. I mean, that's just miles and miles. Oh, away. yeah, definitely. I give you that. I, I, don't, uh, I don't like any movie either that takes me... Like, Halloween 3, watching it as standalone, but I'm just using it... Like, they're in the bar, and Halloween is playing on the TV. Or Silent Night, Deadly Night, 50. But Silent Night, Deadly Night is playing on the TV. Like, I don't like any movie 
that like you just broke the fourth wall and so again like the the merchandise with Doug Bradley and stuff like if it would have been a generic looking Cenobite <clears throat> on the guy's shirt mm-hmm. I think I would have liked it better but I felt like it was breaking the breaking the fourth wall yeah where bit. where they acknowledge yeah. that it's you know like I, I don't yeah, any, yeah. anytime I watch a movie it got they, a little meta yeah if you're watching the oh, previous really? movie on TV in the sequel you just took me out well yeah. right and especially like when they go in and they've got all the different the puzzle boxes yeah. and the no I mean I get all that and that's what I'm saying if you'd have just made this Grave Dancer like if yeah. the name of the video game would have been Grave Dancers and there would have been no Pinhead amazing movie yeah, the story the storyline oh, yeah. was really good and there's yeah. this one scene the thing that I, I I most enjoyed and I know this is small. There's a scene where Henry Cavill is chasing her around upstairs. Took me right back to Return of the Living Dead, where he's running at where Tom, oh, yeah, where yeah, Tom, yeah. Tommy, he's running after her and shit. I was just like, oh, I really enjoyed that. I just had this flashback and looked up on my wall and I was like, dude, that's so dope. Yeah. It's just the little things because that's what it reminded me of in that moment. Nothing else really reminded me of Hellraiser. Yeah. Except when they and forced Hellraiser down your throat. Yes. But I really enjoyed. The, the end sequence, the reveal at the end, like we're used yeah, to those reveals that now. Awesome. That reveal, I was just like, no, dude. This so, is- yeah. My thing about this film is that, uh, I, one, I enjoyed it. And I think by this point, I had conditioned myself to say, okay, forget that it's Hellraiser. Just let's watch it for what it is, you know. So, I did actually put it in my note that, that there are some meta jokes kind of about, about Hellraiser. You know, they, there's a bit where they knock on the door, they open it up, and there's some guy in a Cenobite mask. You know, like yeah, the chomper mask, and I'm like, yeah. this is like, it's it's meta at itself. It's kind of right. poking fun at itself. But that stuff aside, if I just kind of looked past that, I'm with I'm with Mad Chan. Like this film was awesome. I liked it. I mean, dude. again, but I was watching it with the intent that I'm gonna forget that this is a Hellraiser film. Yeah. Let me just watch it for what it is, and it felt really good. And it, but it also felt like high school. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Because I was in high school from like 97 to 2001, and there was a lot of films that came out, even though this didn't come out during that time, but felt like felt, that movie. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, man, I feel like this is like a Friday night high school movie you take some girl to, you know. Right. And, and it's just one of those kind of, you know, films. I, I, I totally love this. Not necessarily as a Hellraiser film. Right. Because I think as a Hellraiser film, it, it's, again, weak sauce. But if, if <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. If you called it, you know, Slumber Party Massacre, Game 2.0, what, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's solid. I like. I mean, I, I like the movie itself. But. I know that uh, both Mad Chan and Hot Toddy were with me at Lance Henriksen's panel within recent years. I know we went to. Were you there for that? I, w- I was there, but not at the panel. My question is, he discussed Alimony <laughs> movies. Alimony <laughs> films? Yeah. Okay, I was wondering this if you guys think this is Yeah, this is an Alimony film. Still important to point out, <laughs> part took, eight. He took movies just to yeah, pay his wife. Uh, well, I figured for that a part eight, out. while I'm saying that I didn't enjoy it as some of the other, as much as the other ones, this is still pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah. For part eight, so it's I'm not cool. like trying to say it's ripping it apart. The quality yeah. of the film and the reveal and stuff, it's got some things that that make it not a taxing watch. Right, right. It's I mean, just for debate's it, sake. No, I mean, nobody took Manhattan in this one, but I mean, it was still there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, uh, let's move on to this last piece of doo-doo. At least in my oh, opinion. come on! Hellraiser yeah. Revelations, yeah. 2011, directed by Victor Garcia, written by Gary Tunnicliffe. Um, starring Stephen Brand, Nick Eversman, Tracy Faraway, Jay Gillespie, Sebastian Roberts, Sandy Van Heerten, and Stephen Smith Collins. And I said that many names because that's all the people that's in this movie. Yeah, do you know who was who was not in there? <laughs> Doug Bradley. Yeah. Entertainment. 
<laughs> so and uh, I, here, here's what I'm gonna. I, the first time I watched this, I absolutely hated this movie. Yep. And I was I actually remember. angry. Angry. I've never rewatched it since. I rewatched it since. I really like this movie. And you know why I think I, I accepted at this point. I know Doug. Bra- I knew he wasn't in it when I watched it, but I could not get past. That they recast Pinhead at all. Rewatching it, and I actually get you like gave it a chance. The story is very reminiscent of the first two movies, where you know he's his friend is opened the box. He's came back from hell. He's trying to feed his friend's flesh, you know, to bring him back. Yeah, Um, Yeah, it's it's very it's very incestual and creepy. Oh yeah. because remember, I'm and, just... and and to be to be honest, if they would have got Doug Bradley back or just removed Pinhead from this movie, I think people would have got on board even more and liked it. And <laughs> and again, I know that's taboo, but it, if you can't get Doug Bradley back, you know, I think the chatter like there's so many Cenobites you could bring in besides Pinhead. Like give Pinhead the day off. Seriously, man. Like bring in the Butterball. I mean Simon Banford. I'm what sure. Was, what was the girl's name? Uh, I was. That's yeah. all her name was. Her name was female. female. AKA, you barely see her in Bar- all the rest. Of well, it's AKA Barbie, but yes, she, female what is what she's listed after as. Barbie Wilde took yeah. it over. It was AKA Barbie. Yeah, but yeah, she like any of them. <laughs> I think if they were there, the story yeah. held up. Once I got past the initial shock that because I, I I hated it so much that they replaced him that I didn't I remember, give the movie a chance. I remember I didn't remember watching the movie as much as I remember watching you watch the movie because Nicole and I sat over here and Todd was over there and it was literally like we'd watch some of the movie and then watch his reaction and usually we don't talk during movies and we had a bad habit back then of playing on phones or laptops or something so i'm sitting over here not really paying attention it's todd talked through this movie he's like that's bullshit you know and not that so much but i mean he, there were comments being made through this movie so the audio commentary no i could so i kind of <laughs> went into this viewing of it with remembering that but i sat down and i was like you know what not that bad. Like you know really what we not. you know what we have sat down through this entire thing, and we have uh, predominantly basically from part five on, and we've been like these movies are great for one for all the Hellraiser shit in it. <laughs> <laughs> if you think about it, that's what we've said. But this this particular entry into the series again, I think by this point I conditioned myself to say, okay, let's just watch it for what it is. Let's not hold it to this idea that it's going to be a Hellraiser film. But this is the first one that really kind of came back to be a Hellraiser film. It was super cheap, though, and you could tell. I mean, they did some really good job with with you know they did a great job with some of the money they had, but as far as the budget itself, you could tell this was like, man, they were shooting it with like Zesta crackers on the craft table. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't a big budget thing. Yeah. Um, I actually wrote that it's it's like a bad '90s TV movie, like a TV movie of Pinhead. That's kind of way I looked at it. Um, they did an admirable makeup job for the new Pinhead, so I liked that. I mean, I knew it wasn't Doug Bradley, whatever. I did not like his voice in this, though. I kind of like Doug Bradley's voice a little better. Not necessarily his speaking voice, but how they kind of alter it and give yeah. it a little digital, you know. Yeah. So this voice felt a little not as menacing. Right. You know? Um, he was the slow gay brother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, with, uh, I'm with Hot Toddy, though. Like, going back through and watching this, the kid's seeking more ultimate pleasure. He opens the box. Mm-hmm. The Cenobites come for him. He's back. They're feeding him. He's feeding him people so he can regain his. We're right you know, back to the come back. Like, yeah, thing. yeah. It's like we, we're swinging. Like we swung all the way around this huge pendulum to mm-hmm. come back to the the meat and potatoes of a story. 
And now we've just taken it one step further because instead of somebody being killed right after we got the meat suit on him, this guy goes home. This guy makes it home. Like, she half-ass opens the box. And he comes home. Yeah. And I thought that was dope. I mean, I really did. Like, this kid... Like, we, he gets more of a venture out into the world, and you get to see how evil this kid is. And at one point, Pinhead looks at him and goes, he's like, your evilness, your evilness in most ways or some ways matches my own. And I'm, you're just like, right on. This is the first one <laughs> in quite a few films that I can say, as a Hellraiser movie, it's strong. As a non-Hellraiser film, if I looked at it without all the Pinhead stuff, it would be super weak. Well, it wouldn't be. It, it almost wouldn't be anything. Well, it wouldn't be. This is the you, first one that really threw a focus back into that. And granted, it wasn't great, but it was pretty good. Would I watch it again? Maybe once. I'll watch it again. Yeah. But all it's right. not something I'd be like, shit, throw that in again. I dig that. No, no, I think we all had to get that out so he, he can come through and Professor. Professor. <laughs> <laughs> nah, now batting, I, number five. I think a lot of what you guys are saying makes sense. And I don't Knock the shit out disagree of with all of it. But here's the bottom line. The acting in this, for the most part, is not very good. It's horrible. It is not. Across the board. Correct. With all of them. Uh, long gone are the nuances of Doug Bradley. Yep. He doesn't even look as good as Doug Bradley. So Looks right like off the bat, the main yeah. guy that we're watching part uh, nine for uh, is is weak compared to what we know. Yeah. Uh, I, I think also in present day, maybe it's not fair, but in current events, I'm a little tired of affluent white kids getting away with hurting people. Yes. Uh, I already off the bat, I'm not that interested in their Got story and what they've done. Them. I'm like, okay, cool, you went to Tijuana to get laid and you accidentally killed a hooker, k- killed a hooker in the, 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 the subtitle of this movie should be Hellraiser Revelations Spoiled. killing hookers in Tijuana yeah, and Spoiled so, white and kids so then we have, Hellraiser white privilege so then we have the family <laughs> yeah I was going to yeah. say that white kids gone wild Hellraiser <laughs> uh, and so Hellraiser after that's it we just wrote the next film I'm so, so then we you know we, we go forward and we've got the families none of whom I'm buying with their performances I'm just the bottom line is, is the story's okay. It's an improvement on what what we've done in terms of of the Hell Hellraiser uh, mythology and storytelling, but it just doesn't land because these people aren't very good. The direction's not very good, and Pinhead's not very good. That's just my opinion. Uh, I just, and I agree with all that too. Yeah, I just yeah, I, thing. I didn't like it, and and that's okay. Yeah. If I've already, if my if I've marathoned up through part eight, this isn't so bad. I won't watch it. Right, but. Could have been better. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I agree, man. Like, when every time the, the girl in this movie, every time she holds the puzzle box and she's trying to be turned on, it's like, it's almost like she's never been turned on yeah. in her life. I want to say something bad, but you seriously, because she's like, uh, like, she's sitting there <laughs> petting it and. Uh, you just gave the print like, sound. Seriously. <laughs> I will say, I did like does. when uh, Nico's big mom at the end ignores the command to be silent and just gets torn apart. Oh, dude. It's like, bad girl. Uh, so, yeah, oh, yeah like, that's my throat thoughts. Open. This one I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend, but no. let's be honest, if you're all the way up to part nine, you're probably watching it yeah. anyway. Right. If, you, if you haven't bowed out at this point, you're, you're just. We are angels to some and yeah. demons to others. Brother, I'm telling you, I, I used this phrase starting early on in my notes. I did, we didn't go through all of our notes this time because there's a lot of them. But Pinhead put the chains on them. And that's mm-hmm. how it always ends. Pinhead comes out and puts the chains on them. How does he set those? It's like a magician, right? Like you load your pockets with pigeons and scarves. Where does he set those things? They just they come out the wall. And he's like... And they just... Pinhead put the chains on you, bro. He's got some... Con- I would say... Hashtag magic. 
I could get confused. Okay, any any last thoughts on this? And I will say, maybe a repeat viewing somewhere down the line, I will share some yeah. of the same sentiment as. Uh, it's it's still not the viewing. best movie in the series whatsoever. No, no. I know. But, and you but, but I didn't. I didn't. I hated it way less <laughs> watching it again. Right. I, in, in fact, I'd say I didn't hate it. Okay, so uh, if we have nothing else to say on that one, we are done with the movies uh, that we have known. What what does the future hold for the Hellraiser franchise? So next in the pipeline is actually Hellraiser Judgment. The tenth film, um, they they've been working on a remake for a while with Clyde Barker. I don't mm-hmm. know what's come of that. Um, is Judgment slated to come out soon? Judgment is slated to come out this year. Very good. Um, rumored to have theatrical release. Not sure. Um, more than likely, it's definitely straight to video. Um, we did reach out to the writer director, and I'm gonna butcher his name, but uh, Ter- Terry Dundon. How would you say it, Chad? Tunnicliffe. He's Tunn- the guy who wrote the last one. So, um, oh, okay. So, um, we reached out. Very good. Good, uh, good luck to you, bro. Now, now, <laughs> now, before you hate, though, we reached out with a, a few questions. Yeah, we did. We wanted to do, uh, he did. we wanted to do like maybe a phone call or, or something. We ran into time issues. Um, nicely enough, he did answer a lot of questions, and I'm not gonna lie, looking at, um, before even getting the questions, the passion for his, his film, um, because he really is pushing this movie. Um, and then getting his responses back. I'm excited to see this movie. Um, before the questions, what I knew is that it does have Leather Ling- Heather Lingenkamp. Um, really? That's kind of cool. Her, her character's name is Landlady. Um, <laughs> Pinhead is back. Unfortunately, it's not Doug Bradley. Um, and then there's also new characters. The Assessor, the Cleaner, the Auditor, the Juror, the Butcher. Wait, those are Cenobites? <clears throat> uh, these, I think, are new Cenobites. <laughs> that could be cool. And then... um. We were going to read a few of uh, the responses that we got back, and then uh, we can release the, the long form of the Q&A onto the podcast. Yep. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, uh, go to our blog if you're not already there, and scroll down right under the episode, and in full entirety will be the questions and answers given for you to read. Where so. can you find that blog at, just in case they don't know? www.blogspot.com. I link it on our social com media. backslash Midwest Monsters podcast. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to throw a link in there. And, and we feel the best British voice is uh, Mad Chance, <laughs> so we're going to let him do just a little bit of highlights. Mary Poppins. Poppins? What? <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you want to ask the question? I'll give so the so a uh, question we usually always ask is top five, and for time we'll just na- name his uh, uh, relevant movie in his top five there. In his top five, oh he has... No, I'm not doing that. Uh, in his top five, though, he uh, has Hellraiser listed. Awesome. And Hellraiser, for anybody, he's just like us. Exorcist, Evil Dead, Chainsaw, Hellraiser, Jaws. That's almost verbatim a few yeah. of our listings. And, and I believe so like us, just he, like we us. saw it in the theater when it was released, so he's he's not a new fan. Um, we, we asked his involvement in the series. Is he a new newcomer or, or what? And what was his answer, Chad? Okay, so... This is the thing I thought was great. In part three, he was charged with making the laminate configuration puzzle box. So he made the puzzle box for part three. And then he took over as makeup effects designer for Hellraiser Inferno and Hellseeker. He was the makeup effects designer. In Deader and Hellworld, he was the makeup effects designer and actor and the second unit director. And um, he wrote and directed a short film called No More Souls. And now he's on to Hellraiser Judgment. Man. Wow, and, and, and No More Souls like is actually an Easter egg on Deader. 
So if you have the actual DVD, which I don't any longer, you can find that on there. Cool. I, I like stories like that where franchises kind of reward somebody in the long run. The director of Freddy's Dead. Captain Rachel Talley. Yeah, she yeah. Did tons of stuff with them. Yeah. I like that. Right. That's so, cool. I mean, this guy literally went from making the puzzle boxes to... He now he's making and he's writing and directing the new Hellraiser. Very movie, man. Cool. That's dope. We'll have to stay uh, updated on that and keep an eye out. And and, and he acknowledges that you know that he wanted Doug Bradley mm-hmm. and it didn't happen. And then you know when you're making a movie you have to move forward. Um, am I missing anything but essential hey, with here? With his that? resume, maybe he'll be able to make it. Make it still great. Make Hellraiser yeah, great this again. Is, uh, Says Doug, or it says, Doug Bradley is pinhead, and I wanted him in Judgment. I never considered anyone else for the role. I was excited to have my friend and colleague reprise his role. Unfortunately, unfortunately, Doug wouldn't sign the NDA and was not exactly thrilled at the idea of working on another dimension film. And that's all we'll say. You can read the rest. I mean, it's a longer response. You can read the rest of it. So, I mean... Don't, the only other thing I think is important is there's... Um, a lot of people talk about how... This is another movie in the pipeline where they've taken a script that existed and made it a Hellraiser movie. We asked him about that, and he actually exclaims that it, it is not the case at all that he actually wrote Judgment as a Hellraiser movie. Cool. And um, it, I think he uh, it didn't it didn't go. He took out the Cenobites, took out Pinhead, and then had a movie called Judgment that he was trying to kickstart. And when the kickstarting project didn't happen, and Dimension approached him, he gave them back the original script. Okay. So, I mean, you guys definitely log on to the blog spot, and there'll be links on it from all of our social media. Definitely log on and read this. And when the new Hellraiser comes out, we're uh, we're going to try to reach yeah, back we'll out and see what we can yeah. do. Thank Just you, for you, uh, listeners. For the answers, sir. We appreciate that. So, any closing thoughts? Uh, good, bad, or indifferent, whatever you took away from us. Um, like we always say, go make your own judgments, man. Like, uh, go find out for yourself. If you have any peaked interest in this series at all, I say do it. Like, if you have any at all, if you've yeah. never seen one, if you've only seen one and two, like, give them a watch, man. It's a fun little weekend. I won't recommend these to just anyone, but if you are interested, watch them. Right. It, it can be very surprising uh, how you perceive it kind of wrong with what you think the franchise is going to be and what it actually is. So if, if there's even a slight interest, check them out. And, you know, maybe it isn't for you the whole way. Check out along the way, but I think you'll be impressed with a lot of it. Uh, that would be my final thoughts on the Hellraiser franchise. I'm with you on that. I, I don't know if I'd recommend this to everybody, but if I did, I would say this. If you open the box, finish it. <laughs> uh, I, what? You said I, just, I don't know. I think, I think part one and two are, are essential to me to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't oh, know if I, would, I, if I would force yes. the whole franchise. If you don't like one and two, you're not going to like yep. past, I don't think. Um you know, so I guess it depends on your pleasure. <laughs> or but, pain. But, but watch part one and two. Okay. Very good. Well, gentlemen, it has been a pleasure. Listeners, thank you as always for checking in with us. Uh, we are closing it. We're calling it. We are done with the Hellraiser franchise. Thank you for listening. I am Professor Wagstaff, joined by Matt Chan, Hot Toddy, and Rye Bones. We'll see you later. Stay scared. <laughs>